You're listening to Pacific Post-Ups, an NBA podcast covering the Pacific Division, with your hosts, Lewis Dade and Nick Boylan. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome in to another edition of the Pacific Post-Ups. I have a very happy Nick Boylan with me because his Golden State Warriors have moved into the second round, Nick. It must be a must be a relaxing day knowing you've got Jokic behind you now. Uh, absolutely, out of uh, the league's health and safety protocols and battling COVID last week to being certainly having my energy uh, put up by seeing uh, Golden State get through um, what was going to. I don't know. It's always a little bit of a nervous time, and uh, as a any, any Golden State fan, seeing a three-one scoreline always gives you a little bit of PTSD. But um, no, it was it was good that they were able to to get through. Um, you know, an incredibly talented generational type of a big guy. Um, who you know really got cooking as the series went on and was just yeah was was awesome. Um, but you know sort of the uh. You know, pardon the pun, the strength and numbers that the Golden State do have um, versus um, Michael Malone's side, particularly with the the players that they do have sitting with injury. Um, it was always meant that it was going to be pretty tough for the big Serb. Yeah, and there's only so much you can do on your own, but I think we'll focus on that closeout game first and then circle back to some of what we picked up throughout the series. So um, the closeout game, which finished all, all of about three hours ago, two hours ago now, um, Golden State did win 4-1, taking the series at home, the, the gentleman sweep per se. Uh, they finally went to the lineup that everyone's been waiting for Steve Kerr to unveil, which was the Steph, Paul, Clay, Wiggins, Dre lineup. Nick, do you have a favourite nickname of choice that you've read on Warriors Twitter? I've heard a lot going around. Super Splash Bros. I, I, I don't mind that one. Um, a couple of them were getting a little bit out of hand. Uh, I mean, Pool Party is, is great. Um, I'm not sure if it has a much of a, of a of a collective, I don't know, uh, celebration of all the other guys in that lineup. Um, but yeah, Super Splash Bros. Kind of, I, I kind of don't mind um, Death Squad and all these kind of stuff. But yeah, um, whichever way you want to call it, it's been all right. It was. Uh, it, we've obviously seen little snippets of it, and it's not always necessarily Wiggins that's been the fifth guy in that lineup at all times. They've tried it, but I think the main focus has been. Steph, Paul, Clay, Draymond version of it. Uh, all of the starters did end up uh, as a positive, except for Jordan Poole, who was a slight negative on the plus minus and had a bit of a an off game. But as a small sample size, that's uh, looking like a potential viable starting lineup, depending on the matchup. Steph was awesome today. Uh, Nick, I actually reckon this is probably the best he's looked since he's come back as far yeah. as just taking control of the game. Um, mm. There was certainly no hesitation. I mean, 35 and 5, 5 of 11 from 3. He was aggressive late. Um, you know, he, he obviously we touched on the lack of support Jokic had, but he kind of went head-to-head with Jokic down the stretch there and came out on top. Uh, and it's great to see because he's really peaking now uh, just at the right time. Yeah, it's, um, you know, obviously there was, you know, he, he, Steph Curry was playing some of the best six-man minutes you'll ever see. 
Uh, obviously, um, you know, a role for Steve Kerr to lock him into the future, have him coming off the bench as a, as a super sub uh, for the rest of his career. But uh, yeah, all jokes aside, um, I think that they handled it really well. Um, they eased him back into things, didn't try to, you know, put too much on his plate early and then obviously played, you know, a season high minutes today. And they really needed all of them considering um, they had some poor games from poor shooting games from Clay and, and Paul. So, um, no, it, it, he's really sort of warming into gear nicely, which is, I think, a really good, um, you know, contrast to the last time sort of Steph was in the postseason or, you know, in the play-in last season when he was looking pretty gassed by the end of it with the the amount that he'd had to do um, at the end of the season to get them in a position where they could have a crack at the play-in tournament. So, um, you know, depending on what sort of what happens and how long the series goes in um, Memphis and Minnesota, um, obviously any sort of, you know, more time for injured injured and sore bodies is is fantastic. But it's yeah, it's really good to see Steph. You're just sort of warming into the postseason now. Jordan Paul had a, a quieter game by his you know new lofty standards, and we'll circle back to what he's done throughout the series. But it is one just to keep an eye on if this is the lineup that Steve Kerr continues to go with. Which if it's Memphis, he might very well do so if they continue to not want to play as much Stephen Adams. Um, it's it's funny with him. I think we've seen now that he is a he is that guy that everyone said he could be. It's just now a matter of whether it's still he's the one that struggles to find his fit the most in this starting lineup. Um, I mean, obviously there's three dominant scorers there, and, and Paul's the youngest and most inexperienced. So perhaps he's not sure how to toggle his aggressiveness up and down. Mm. But uh, on the whole, I, I think I'm just going to write off a quieter one today from him as a bit of small game sample size until we have any reason to think otherwise. Yeah, I, th- I think so. It, it will take him, um, again, a, a slight readjustment to as they work Steph back in just because his form was so good heading into the postseason that um, it felt like the early stages of that Nugget series was just, you know, um, solidifying what we'd seen to close the regular season for Jordan Poole um, and just on such a tear, both as a playmaker. Um, his ability to take, to take some to try to make some passes that sometimes aren't there. Um, but, you know, it's very Steph Curry-like as well. Um, you know, they can sometimes try to, you know, hit the home run play, so to speak, from a playmaking perspective um, and can turn the ball over. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't a great game for him today. Eight points, five fouls. Um, it's It was a little bit ugly. But, um, you know, I think that Poole's done a really good job sort of not only growing his game, but continuing to grow as a more mature player um, and understanding what he needs to do to contribute to win in different situations. Um, you know, the clip, I think of it, I think it was in game three where he was sort of on the sidelines, sort of, you know, being the voice talking to the rest of his team, I think was really telling um, of how not only he sees himself, but also how his teammates see him, uh, you know, continuing to grow, um, you know, um, as a player, but also as a, as a young leader of this team. Agree more. Uh, you know, he's one that could potentially, if Golden State go on a long playoff run here, like it looks like they have the chance to, uh, you know, he's already really made a name for himself in his this first round. But should he continue to do this deep into the playoffs, that will no doubt help, A, the, the contract figure that he ends up earning, and then B, just his reputation within the league as well. Mm. Uh, you know, where's, there's always that perceived value that the, the further into the playoffs you do it, um, you know, the more that your fellow superstars uh, are going to, you know, respect you for how you go. Gary Payton uh, was very efficient, uh, 15 off the bench, played some good D. I think it was uh, two steals and a block to go with it as well. 
he slotted in quite nicely, I guess, into that newly formed six-man role with the way they've reshuffled it. Uh, Nick, he's been super versatile and providing he can continue to find a way to put the ball in the basket, he's someone that could potentially be valuable given the lack of perimeter defense in that new starting lineup to a certain extent. A hundred percent. I'll speak more on the on the young glove a little bit later in the in the show, but I think that yeah, he's doing himself no favors in terms of uh, you know what his next contract's going to look like, um, and he's really yeah seamlessly fitted into this side and to in doing a few different things depending on what matchup um, he's called upon. Um, and I think he's been really solid um, right throughout the series. I want to move on to, I guess, just some of what you might have picked up throughout watching the the course of the series as well, because as much as today was a you know quite an entertaining closeout game, the, the damage was certainly done uh, earlier in the series. To me, the first thing that stood out was, A, Jokic didn't have enough help, which we've kind of touched on before, and this Denver team is going to be just got overwhelmed by the talent gap uh, between Golden State and themselves. But more than anything for me, it was that Draymond proved again that he was why he is the most valuable playoff defender in the league. Um, just got some really, really crucial stops down the stretch at different points. Jokic, yes, he scored on him at times. And when the three ball was going, it makes it a little bit more complicated. But in the post, Draymond held his, held his own so well for a guy that's given up a fair amount of height. And I'm guessing a little bit of weight to go with it as well. Yeah, his, um, his series has been just amazing. Um you know that was it was always the matchup that was everyone was looking forward to, particularly given Draymond's absence um, in the regular season series against Denver. Um, I think that Jokic did a really good job working him out later and later in, into the um, into the into the series. Um, started to draw a little bit more contact, and you know a lot of people have. There's been a lot of discourse on online about sort of how how aggressive Draymond was playing him, and you know how many you know. I mean, times he was maybe fouling him, you know, it's probably, it was a few calls that missed, but you know, some, I don't mind if the playoffs are meaning that, you know, the ref's starting to put away the whistle a little bit more. So, um, but no, just a really good battle between those two guys. Um, you know, Draymond had a really good series, not only defending, but also playmaking, uh, postseason Draymond hitting his threes is, is a, is a real thing. Um, you know, um, from, from straight away, those are, they're borderline safe bets. This is, is maybe is a careless thing to say about um, a Draymond Green perimeter shot, but in the in the postseason when he's got those clean looks from up top, he doesn't usually miss a lot, and it's just those can be some real bailout baskets, and they're also really big sort of momentum shifters whenever Draymond hits a three. It really it is kind of one of those things that really lights up the crowd and gets them involved, and that happened today. Really, that was a really dead crowd because Denver had got out to a what like a ten point lead. Uh, coming out of, of half time um, and Draymond did a three just to, to try to claw things back. And it, those sort of momentum swings, are, he's just such a massive um, generator of those. And yeah, his defense was um, pretty damn good as well. I think uh, what was most exciting from my perspective was to see when we could get those Clay, Paul, Steph minutes overlapping. And then, yeah, then obviously Draymond out there, I don't care who the fifth is in that scenario. We know how how good of a playmaker he is, but when he's got three elite, elite shooters um, and very elite cutters as well, just whirling around him at all times, it, it's going to open up some passing lanes for him that just going to continue to highlight what a good playmaker he is. But there are a couple of yep. really fun sequences throughout the series that you see pop up and you go, well, when you've got Clay getting a pin down on one side of the court from someone else that can either roll or, or pop out, and then you've got Steph and... 
Paul kind of doing that action where they both kind of set a screen for each other and then keep setting, keep moving through. It's just going to yeah. confuse the defense all hell because you've got to cover inside and out with one of the best, uh, you know, top of the key playmakers in the league. Yeah. It makes things interesting as well. I think there's a, there's a few times when um, certainly Wiggins will be handy sometimes if he could get in this sort of spot. But you know, I think really sort of key play that the Warriors quite often do run is when sort of Draymond's in that short roll and then drives to the spot where he draws defenders and then you've got a, in the dunker spot wide open for a lob. Obviously, Kevon Looney's not really, bless his soul, um, the Iron Man who played all 80, 82 games this season has not got the hops to go and catch a lob too often unless it's point blank at the rim. So getting someone like James Wiseman back into the side um, next year, um, or even if they're... It, I'm still wanting to see some Jonathan Kamingamit, so I still would like a, a few more than they're getting. I know they've got a pretty settled playoff uh, rotation at the moment, but I think particularly with Iguodala out um, today, um, and you know, considering how like injured he has been this season an uptick in minutes for Kaminga to play in that sort of spot where he can really benefit off Draymond's um, playmaking, but also the, the gravity of, of guys like Steph, Clay and Paul, um, I think could be really important for this team um, just to try to do some different things, particularly if they are going to play against a bigger side like Memphis. It, it is something that crosses my mind, whether it's, you know, Memphis, whether it's whoever they meet, like potentially in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, you know, Carl Anthony Towns could present a threat if Minnesota come out as well. And then they've got a couple of athletic wings that, you know, someone like Kaminga would be a really good match for someone like a, a Jared Vanderbilt or Jalen McDaniels because he's going to yeah. offer the same sort of length and athleticism as well to counter what they can do there. Um, and then, you know, obviously you look uh, on the other side of the bracket, there's plenty of size as well. So Jordan Paul, as I touched on before, this was, he's had his coming out season, call it that, but this was really his coming out series where the, the national media really starts to give him the, the attention he deserves yeah. purely because it's in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, I just to a certain extent tend to agree with that, that, you know, there's always a question mark and two show at the playoffs. He was quite talkative in the media leading up to the, the playoffs about, you know, how much he's waited for this moment and how much he's learned from those veterans of Golden State that have played in a lot of key playoff games. My question for you is not so mm. much can Paul continue to do it, because I believe he can. It's how does Steve Kerr integrate this best five as they start to come up against some of these bigger lineups, Nick? I mean, as I said, it does put a lot of pressure on getting some key minutes out of Kevon Looney. Um, in if they are going to go with some too big, too big lineups. Um, I think that there are going to be moments when Jordan Poole's not on the court and they're going to need you know, sort of Wiggins out there, um, who I think has had an incredibly underrated playoff series, is really the forgotten man, really, in this in this new fancy new small ball lineup. Um, so I think Wiggins needs to be out there. And there, there is going to be times, I think, where Jordan Poole is just going to be better served to be coming off the bench. But it's also times when I think that Steph and, and Poole are sometimes almost a better combination than Clay and, um, and Steph. I know the sacrilegious as that is to say, sometimes depending on the matchup, um, those two, those two's playmaking um, abilities with Draymond, I think, and and Wiggins, and then and then Looney, I think, can really work out quite interestingly. Um, but obviously, you're giving up a little bit in terms of your backcourt defense. In saying that, I think that Steph actually had a really good um, series defensively. Um, that I know he doesn't. Ha- it wasn't Jamal Murray going at him, but um, I think he more than held up his end of the bargain. So, yeah, I'm. 
Oh, there, are, there are going to be situations when they're obviously going to go small, go to this death lineup, whatever you want to call it. But there are also going to be situations where Jordan Poole needs to be comfortable sitting on the bench for a little bit um, because they do need to get the right mix of um, of defense and also rebounding presence. Like, you know, um, Denver were plus 14 on the offensive glass today and you're going against a team that I'm pretty sure is either the second or the best offensive rebounding team in the league um, in the Grizzlies if that uh, if yes, they get through regu- the Wolves. Best regular season, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, they're going to throw guys like, you know, outside of Jaron Jackson Jr., if he can stay on the court and out of foul trouble, you've got Brandon Clark, you've got Xavier Tillman, you've got Stephen Adams, um, Zaya Williams, Morant can go and get a rebound from the clouds, um, Desmond Bain and Dylan Brooks can all rebound the ball pretty all right, slow-mo, they've got guys all, all up and down the court and all up and down their roster that's going to pose a lot of problems on the glass. So that's something that they need to work out, and that might mean a sacrifice for Jordan Poole. It's a big picture of thought because they're, you know, obviously a lot would have to go right for them to get there as well. But the I look at now, if you look at if you look at what's left in the East as well, uh, I'm not too worried about the Philly Toronto series. I don't think that team's coming out. But you know, if Milwaukee's smallest player in their starting lineup is Drew Holiday, yeah. you're probably going to struggle with playing too many small guys because Drew could easily post Steph or Paul if he can get the spacing right. Mm. Uh, or just drive your shoulder through them. Same with Marcus Smart in Boston. Um, Miami, it's a bit hard to tell based on injuries, but theoretically, I mean, we know this is where Steve Kerr is obviously going to have to be versatile, and that's going to be about expectation management with Jordan Poole and guys like Kevon Looney. And one series that you might be playing heavy minutes next, it's a little bit lighter. Um, but I do trust Steve Kerr to get that mix right. Uh, fingers crossed that, you know, it, I'd almost want, I always want to see that size challenge come a bit more in the next series or two, assuming they keep progressing. So that way, if they are happy, to, if they you know, are able to make it back to the finals, that they're fully prepared for whatever comes at them. For sure. Steph and Clay, who both in my mind looked a lot closer to themselves, like I said, than they have in a fair while now this series. There were certainly enough signs out of, out of Clay for me to think that it, offensively, he's close to pretty much back to normal. I mean, we've yep. established that defensively it's still not quite there and that's okay it might never be quite back to what it was but um that's the biggest positive for me if anything out of this series was that you've got the closest thing to this you know the splash brothers being back together uh is there anything you notice particularly from steph or clay that really stood out to you in that series i think that it's just that kind of release valve that uh, that clay can provide um when he's on is really damaging you know 40, almost 46% from deep on 9.6 attempts per game for the series. Um, you know, his shot's looking really good because um, there was a period of time, you know, back sort of the back end of the regular season before a couple of really good games late um, in the season. We had 37, I think, in the last or second last game of the season. Yeah, there was a period of time when he was really struggling for his shot, but at the moment he's looking as smooth and as comfortable with things at the moment. He did miss a couple of, you know, late game threes in that, um, in that game for loss, but... I think that um, you know his output offensively um, has been really good. He's still getting to his spots, I think, as well on the on the lower block, um, being able to um, take advantage of his size. Um, you know, quite often if they get a, um, if he'd have someone like Monte Morris switched onto him, um, that he'd be pretty comfortable um, going up and, and and fading away. So, I think just having having that ability as well just to go and get his own shot. Um, has been really good. Um, obviously, a lot of confidence um, in himself. And the same with Steph that, you know, we mentioned at the top of the show, just really easing his way um, into this postseason, um, looking really comfortable offensively. Um, 
get, taking what the defense gives him, um, which is great. I think um, it's always really good when Steph's um, taking a lot more layups and taking a lot of mid-range jumpers and not just settling for threes, um, particularly late in the game. Um, I think that was really apparent in that um, in the in the Warriors' one win in Denver, um, where they were making a lot of good decisions late. You know, sort of pull past up an open three to try to get in and and make a and make a pretty crazy layup. Steph also trying to not to settle and get inside and take take advantage of that. He took advantage of Jokic on quite a few occasions. Um, so I think that's really important that they're you know confidently making good decisions late um, in the game offensively. Couldn't agree more. Uh, I want to touch on moving forward now for this Golden State side. So we've talked a fair bit about what Memphis might present, a little bit less about what happens if the Timberwolves manage to pull out a win in this swings and roundabout series. Uh, Out of 10, I guess, how worried are you about the Grizzlies and how worried are you about the Wolves in short answer? Yeah, I'm I'm definitely more worried about Memphis just for the depth of their roster. Um, this, the sheer length fits up and down on things. It's the same reason I'd be worried about if Golden State got to the finals and played against your Celtics. Or it's just the, the length and defensive ability that they do have um, is pretty crazy. Um, obviously, Moran hasn't had the best postseason, um, but he's still a guy who has shown um, how effective he can be late in games and just his ability to get to the rim. Um you know, we, we, Golden State don't really have that same kind of, you know, point of attack defender um, who's really going to try to really slow him down. And he absolutely cooked Golden State in the playing game last season. So um, it does make things really interesting. Um, I think there are, you know, some kind of advantages a little bit because I I don't think Memphis's perimeter def- defense, as much as the length is really good, I think that the Golden State have got enough to overwhelm them a little bit. Um, lots is always said about Dylan Brooks playing on Steph Curry, but um, the stats don't really paint the same kind of picture that, that NBA casuals try to give you uh, in terms of that matchup. Um, and I think that you can put, I think that depending if Brooks is taking um, Steph and then maybe Desmond Bain is playing on Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, um, if he gets Jar Morant onto him, that is a, a matchup nightmare for Jar because um, I think that he's been really exposed at times um, playing up top on on defense against guys like D'Lo and Edwards and and Malik Beasley and all the, the all the guards that um, the T Wolves do have. So um, I do think that's an advantage there. But as I mentioned it, um, before, the battle on the glass is just going to be huge. And uh, and the Wolves, would there be any panic from your end if, if they come out of the series or not particularly? Yeah, uh, I mean, like if I was giving it like Memphis out of 10, I'd probably give them like an eight and a half, maybe an eight. Um, I still think I'd say they got a, a good chance of winning that series. I think it'd be a bit harder. I think it's going to be a little bit easier um, against um, Minnesota. They do have, um, you know, obviously Carl Anthony Towns is someone who can give Golden State a lot of strife, but you can also give Golden State a lot of strife when Draymond's not out there. I kind of think that it's a slightly similar series than you have against um, Denver, although, you know, incredibly different players, both of them, but um, trying to put, you know, get cap frustrated into foul trouble. I think that's shown that that can be a bit of a thing. And I think Draymond would frustrate the absolute daylights out of him. Um, and then, yeah, if, if Wiggins is able to, you know, try to stay with Edwards, 
and then you've got sort of the backcourts versing each other again. Um, I think that I'm taking Clay and Steph and, and Paul over D'Lo, um, Malik Beasley and um, and Pat Bev. So in that situation, I, I, I'd, yeah, I'd be leaning towards Golden State in a slightly easier series. But in the same time, I think Minnesota have been pretty good um, this postseason and aren't, aren't going away yet. I, I tend to agree, and I'm I'm rather bullish about Golden State coming out of either series. To be honest with you, this this Golden yeah. State sides, I was I was pretty sold coming into the postseason. Just wanted to see Steph, and I'm now I'm now very sold at least for as, as far as the second round is concerned. Mm. Uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back with the Phoenix New Orleans series, which certainly isn't over, as well as of course wrapping up with our Avita Zubac unsung hero of the week. Pacific Post-Ups is closely affiliated with OTG Basketball. They've got a fantastic podcast and YouTube network where you can keep up to date with all things NBA. Make sure you follow them on Twitter and YouTube at OTG Basketball. Back to the show. And we're back uh, talking Phoenix Suns. New Orleans Pelicans. Now, before we get into the nitty gritty, Nick, I've uh, got quite a funny personal story to, to share about the series. So I received a text from a close uh, mate who's a Suns fan uh, after game one saying, pricing up tickets to Arizona for the finals. Oh, he, no. Uh, oh, no. He then said, I think I'm going to put a deposit down. It was at the end of game four, I texted him and said, if you can get those tickets rerouted to Massachusetts, I might actually buy them off you. <laughs> because this Phoenix Suns team is likely to survive this series, but boy, it's a really, really nervous time to be a one seed that's this dominant against a New Orleans team that doesn't make the playoff uh, playoffs in a pre-play-in era. Yep, it's um, it's not the series that we expected at all. Um, I think New Orleans looked pretty good in the play-in. Obviously, uh, dumping out the Clippers. Um, in, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Clippers that when probably the postseason's done and have a bit of a re, recap on them. Sorry, we didn't get a chance for those Clippers fans, but I was in COVID, so bad luck. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, the Pelicans have just got a couple of guys who can really score uh, <laughs> and that are really hard to defend. Um, it's It's been really, really interesting. And I think that, you know, for a few different facets, but obviously the big story of this entire series and really of really the NBA, I mean, there's obviously been a few injuries in the postseason, but none are bigger than Devin Booker's hamstring at the moment. Um, I know that there was some updated uh, information today, I think uh, from, from Woj or Shams. Yeah, I believe he's, he's targeting a game six or seven yep. return. It's all a yep. little bit vague at the moment. Yeah. So um, game six, um, I'd be interested to see if that's happening. Um, obviously, um, by the time we sort of get this podcast out, um, we'll, we'll have we'll have that game sort of um, immediately following this pod going live. But it is going to be really interesting to see if Booker gives it a go because he's had problems with both of his hamstrings, and it's it's always a really it's something that can flare up again and give you another problem. Hammy's it's just a, a really tough injury to sometimes play through. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see if he tries to give it a run. Um, but yeah, um, the Phoenix have, have made, been made to work this series for sure. 
until the result that came through, the game five result that came through, I was almost starting to lean potentially New Orleans not being aware where Devin Booker was going. Um, mm. It is worth talking about that game five result. So Phoenix pulled away with that 112-97 win over New Orleans, taking a 3-2 game uh, series back to New Orleans tonight. Mikael Bridges, who, you know, it, it, much like Jordan Paul, if you listen to this podcast frequently, you'll know how high we've been on him for a long time. Yep. And I think we both would have enjoyed watching him 31 points on 12-17, shooting five boards, four blocks, two assists, a steal, the perfect four or four from deep. New Orleans were shooting one of 14 with Bridges defending shots. Um, that includes Ingram, who's one of four, McCallum, who's one of nine. And that really goes to show... Uh, Mikael Bridges' versatility, Nick, because he's perfect for defending someone like Brandon Ingram because he's pretty much just as long and lanky as Ingram is, but he's quick and able to slide over screens to navigate a shifty, you know, shoot-first guard like CJ is. Yeah, yeah, 37% shooting for McCollum in the series after, you know, really lighting things up in the playing situation. Um, but Bridges has made his life absolutely hellacious. Um, and then, yeah, um, did a pretty okay job on Ingram. Ingram's been, you know, superb all series. Um, just, yeah, just been fantastic. But um, we had a bit of a, a, a tougher go of, go of things um, in that um, in that game five um, win for um, the Suns. And, yeah, just he's just developed so much as a scorer. I mean, it was obviously, the, you know, the big question, obviously, when Booker went out, it was like, all right, cool, who's stepping up? Obviously, you know, Paul was – um, going to try to shoulder a little bit more of the load, obviously, as a playmaker and as a scorer. But, you know, they were going to need, you know, more contributions from Jay Crowder, more, more from DeAndre Ayton and Cam Johnson and Campaign and all these sort of guys. But Bridges is someone who's just, you know, we talk about Kevon Looney as an iron man. Again, Bridges has played um, every single game this season and has just been, you know, really the definition of an iron man. It just, he, he's honestly sometimes just, a little bit nuts with how much he plays, you know, averaging just under 35 minutes a game um, for this, for the season is just insane when you're playing that many games and he just continues to develop as a scorer, obviously um, can, you know, is one of the, is a pretty handy three point shooter um, going at just under 37% um, on the season. Um, but just, being more active, um, you know, making some more more decisions on the fly with the ball in his hand. Um, someone who's developing as a, a pretty handy playmaker um, in certain situations um, where you can kind of give him a, a little bit more offensive responsibility. Um, he just continues to show that there's just less and less gaps in his game. You mentioned Bridges has played every game this year, Nick. I, I thought I remember reading something about this. So he's actually played all 263 consecutive games over his five seasons in That's the NBA. <laughs> but he also never missed a game in college. Yeah. <laughs> this guy is literally the definition of an Ironman, um, and hopefully that bodes well for long-term health moving forward for him. But, you know, he's someone that I think was very, you know, underrated in the Suns' run last year, and I think he's gone up and yeah. up and not this year. Uh, you know, that, I think that contract is still a steal. And depending on if the Suns can get through the series and keep progressing, he's someone that's going to provide um, Phoenix a lot of you know, defensive versatility, considering there aren't quite as many, you know, six, nine uh, wings left in the playoffs that there was, felt like there was a couple of years ago where every single yeah. team seemed to have a, a Kawhi or a LeBron or a Durant. You know, they're all, they're not, a lot of them aren't 
Lollum are sitting out this season. So his mm. ability to guard both the lankier wings and also the smaller guards is really important based on who's left, particularly on the Western side of the bracket. hundred uh, percent. And then like you've got, and then, cause you sort of look at like Phoenix's defense as well, how much that obviously, um, you know, I think Aiton's had a pretty good series. Um, Crowder's, you know, always, I think plays hard. Cam Johnson's still developing as a defender, but has certainly has the physical tools to do so. Um, but, you know, outside a bit of a to- some Tory Craig minutes, um, it's a lot is placed on Bridges' shoulders. So, um, no, he's just, he is just vital um, for this team um, in, in what they can do. Um, you know, it's sort of that, was it that, um, that stat that, what, seven players in NBA history with 30 points, four threes and four blocks. LeBron, KD, Kawhi, Kobe, Dirk, Vince Carter and Mikhail Bridges. That's not bad company. And Bridges is the only one left in the 2022 playoffs of that list as well. Yep. Um, CP3, who had a poor game in New Orleans, bounced back this time with 22 points, 11 assists, six rebounds and three steals. Now, I watched that game five pretty intently. CP3 is having to battle through some of the most hellacious defense you'll ever see from Jose Alvarado. That man would run away with the Zoobs Award if he was in the Pacific Division. Oh, I'd, I'd, yeah, if I was a New Orleans fan... We'd rename it. That's it. Please, New Orleans, trade him. Um, But uh, he's just been... Look, obviously, CP3's seen stuff like this before, but he's also, you know, a man in his mid-30s now, and he's looking pretty gassed every time he gets a chance to take a breather. But credit to him because... It was noted that Drew Holiday kind of wore CP3 down in the in the finals last year. Now, Drew Holiday is a lot more physical, a lot bigger. It's a different proposition to the, the pesky nature of Jose Alvarado. But for CP3 to come out the other side of this with, you know, a crucial that's the thing with Chris Paul, 22 points is always, you know, usually it's, it's if he scores 22 points, it's usually an indication of a good game because he can easily also have his, his 15 point, 15 assist game. But the fact that he also managed to get three steals, picked up some boards. Uh, he's going to be the man moving forward. Devin Booker's not going to be the Devin Booker you're thinking of if he's still kind of hobbling around a little bit. And I do suspect that he's coming back a little bit earlier than he should, Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, just given the nature of the series. The Phoenix Suns also had a better rebounding game, um, which is something they've struggled with a little bit. I think the New Orleans Pelicans are leading the playoffs in offensive rebounding at the moment. Yeah, uh, and then the whole team, like in terms of defensive and offensive, they've been plus eleven um, per game for the entire series. You know, Jonas has got big. Big JV's got fifteen and a half per game. You're getting twenty per game between McCollum, Ingram, and Larry Nance Jr. It's they're a lot on the glass. Yeah, correct. Uh, and you know, even the young guys that they're throwing out there, Trey Murphy, Herb Jones, these are guys with with long wingspans. Whether they're boxing out or grabbing it, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of length on that side to make the most of. It's going to be an interesting. It's an interesting point for Phoenix because DeAndre Ayton isn't. He can have these big rebounding games, but he's not quite. You know, Jonas Valanciunas, where he's just an absolute monster on the glass. But I do think that that's something that he could evolve into potentially a little mm. bit more. Um, I'd like to see him kind of flesh out that part of the game. I know he's more of a touch player, more of a finesse player, but he, he's you know he's a big frame. He's you know over seven foot. I'd like to see him get in there and throw his body weight around. And, you know, whether they need to have a look at the way they're structuring their power forward position a bit as well to give Aiton a bit of help on the glass is certainly worth considering, I think, Nick. Yeah, it's... I know you and I constantly talked about the the long-term sort of look for Phoenix, whether it's going to be Crowder, um, 
or Cam Johnson. You need one of them needs to really sort of tick over as a rebounder because you know, so you look at the series, I mean Aiton's averaging ten and a half per game, but then the drop off between him and then Mikhail Bridges, who's got just under five, four rebounds for Paul and Johnson. Um, you know, Crowder's only averaging three and a half. It's and particularly considering Crowder's, I wouldn't say has had the best um his, shoot, his shooting has not really got there yet. It's actually um, he's shooting at nine percent for the series. Um so I know that Jay Crowder is really important as as a uh, you know in terms of his uh his voice, um his energy, um and the the grit and energy and energy and hustle and assertion that he plays with on defense. But if he's not shooting the ball that well, he you kind of do lose a little bit out there. Um I know he is I know he's so essential for this Phoenix team, but eventually they are gonna have to, I think, yeah, look at some different options in there to at least give you a little bit more on the glass. Yeah, and look, if they can, if they can survive this series, I mean, they'll get to a yeah. situation where they're not going to have to maybe look at reshuffling it so much, but it's uh, worth thinking about. Uh, there was foul trouble for campaign and Aaron Holiday got some action. I actually thought he looked pretty good. You put in the notes here, he looked okay. Yeah. What were you, was, was that a positive okay or was there some signs of concern from what you saw out of Aaron Holiday's game? No, a positive, okay. Um, I'll, I'll probably, yeah, underselling him a little bit, but, you know, someone who can knock down a three. Um, I think his energy um, and defense is really handy um, for this Phoenix Suns side. Um, a bit bit, a bit of a bigger body compared to, to campaign, and particularly for Payne, if he's not, you know, if he's getting into foul trouble, but also if he's not scoring the ball as well, you know, 32% from the field, 13% from deep um, during the the playoffs. It hasn't been the same kind of postseason that he did have last season. Uh, you know, that was something that we talked about um, on our last pod, sort of heading into things, how important that he would be um, for this team. And, you know, obviously more, that importance is um, heightened when they're not, when they don't have Devin Booker out there. So, um when, when pain hasn't been there. So I think, yeah, some more minutes for Aaron Holiday is probably not the worst thing in the world. I agree. And, and I think that he gives him a different look to campaign as well. It's a bit more stout defensively. Uh, and it was good to see Aaron Holiday be able to provide a brief amount of ball handling respite from Chris Paul, given the defensive mm-hmm. pressure he was under. Uh, Phoenix hasn't been great shooting from deep. They've shot 30.8%. They have shot 77.4% at the rim. Uh, the Pelicans obviously aren't the world's greatest defensive team, despite having some decent individual defenders. Are you worried about the looks that Phoenix are getting from three, or is this just a matter in your mind of the open threes aren't going down at the moment that this will level out? I mean, your shooting does drop off if Devin Book is not out there playing. But, you know, Bridges has shot the ball okay. But, you know, Cam Johnson, Chris Ball hasn't shot the three well. Um, that, one, that one's a little bit more of a concern, 28% for him on five attempts per game. Landry Shamit's obviously had to play a little bit more. He hasn't been shooting the, the ball that well. And I already mentioned the shooting struggles of Payne and Crowder. It's, you know, they got guys who can shoot on this roster, but you know, they've got a lot of streaky shooters. Um, there's not a lot of guys who you bank on sort of giving, you know, really consistent effort from deep outside of probably Booker and Bridges and Paul to a degree. Um, even though, you know, I think, you know, he's very capable of hitting a clutch three, but in terms of, you know, being a constant, consistent threat from deep, that's not really Chris Paul's game. Um, nor should it be, but I don't, I mean, I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a terrible thing. Um, you know, but it depends. It's going to be interesting when, when those shots aren't falling and if they, you know, they, 
when they when they do have that next series series um, facing them, and they're going to have you know potentially a harder time getting to the rim in terms of shooting the ball, you know, at seventy seven and a half percent. I think that's where the you know the questions might be asked. But again, it could be alleviated when Booker's back as well. So. I think it also might just be a matter of Booker draws the extra attention from the defense, which probably leads to a few more wide open teammates. Yeah. Um, you know, CP as good as he is, isn't, isn't really getting double teamed at this point in his career. Um, Booker definitely will get doubles from teams, which is going to open up, you know, wide open teammates as well. Uh, but, you know, I suspect that you might potentially see that that rim shooting number goes down a little bit when you, when you lean back into, you know, what Book's going to do, which is a lot of, you know, short range floaters and, and pull up mid range twos as well. So Yeah. And uh, you're also not facing Herb Jones on the other end next series as well. So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Chris Paul will be very happy to be to be rid of Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado at this point. Uh Booker, as we touched on, is going to be returning either tonight or game seven. Do you think if Booker isn't good to go or if he's a shell of himself that there's any danger they drop this series, Nick? <sighs> I don't think there's a danger they drop the series. I definitely think there's a danger they drop this game in New Orleans. Um, I think that's. I I, I do I do think this might go seven. Um, regardless of what if Booker's able to go and if he can give him a pretty good run, um, that's you know, twenty odd minutes or whatever, and he can give him twenty points. I think that yeah, that 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 should do things for Phoenix. But yeah, I mean a lot a lot a lot is riding on the strength of those hamstrings of Devin Booker. Um. I think that's um, yeah. I think that they are that's certainly in danger of losing this. That all it would take is a is a massive game from Ingram and McCollum to um one one of those two to I think really sort of power New, um, New Orleans through. Um, but you know, if if Booker can get back on a on a bad hamstring, I reckon there's somebody else um who's sitting on the bench at the moment who could probably give them a run for ten minutes, particularly if he's throwing down windmill dunks um before the game. I've I've got Suns winning it in seven. Uh, Nick, it won't be the old Suns in four. Final final comment on this uh, on this series. You, I gather you're taking the Suns. You're taking Suns in six or seven. Seven, I think as well. Um, I, I I reckon that it'll be a dogfight um, in New Orleans, but I, I I do think that Bridges might you know strangle. Um, the output of CJ McCollum once again, but I'm expecting a, a pretty decent game from. Uh, Brandon Brandon Ingram and and Herb Jones to um, allow um, New Orleans to force this to a final game. But I do think, yeah, I, don't, I think Phoenix at home in a game seven situation aren't going to lose that. As long as Scott Foster's not refereeing, I'm sure Chris Paul will yeah. get it done. We'll uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with the Avita Zubac unsung hero of the week. And we're back, Nick. It's uh, time for the Ibiza Zubac Unsung Hero of the Week, which you have raised a point, could potentially be up for renaming at the end of this season. Listeners, feel free to DM or comment uh, any ideas you've got for a new renaming of this award. Be sensible. Make sure it's someone in the Pacific Division. Um, who's your nomination for uh, this ever-important playoff edition of the IZ Award? Yeah, I've gone with uh, Gary Payton the second um, for this week's Zoobs Award. I think that yeah, he's been a you know an unsung hero. Everyone's you know talking about the the sexy new lineup, but you know 
whatever role that he needs to play and doesn't really matter how many minutes he's that he's gone and, and played. And I think he's been really effective um, when he's caught upon. You know, obviously, um, had a perfect shooting night um, in game in game three. Um, you know, played the played the fourteen minutes and finished with eleven points, a steal, um, three rebounds as well, um, and then also had another good night. Uh, shooting the ball, hit all three of his threes. I think tonight as well um, against um, Denver to close out that series. So, just I think his ability to continue to grow as a three-point shooter has been really important because defense is still probably yeah don't don't give him that, that respect yet, and he's taking advantage of that um, and the spacing that he can. He can get out there. Sorry, three or four from deep tonight. But yeah, had 15 points off the bench, three rebounds, three assists, two steals and a block. Um, he's just such a smart player. Um, I think that he's done a pretty good job uh, on the block. Um, can defend Jokic really well. <laughs> As someone who's giving up, you know, probably a good seven or eight inches of height um, and a fair few more kilos. Um, I think that he does a really fantastic job um, when guys try to switch on to him in the post. Um, just with how smart he is and his strength, but also ability to play with quick hands and get the ball away from him. Um, and I talk at length, he's, he's, he's such a good player to watch without the ball. Um, I think that his running patterns are great, um, really efficient finishing at the rim, whether that's dunking or cutting for a layup. I think that he's just such a smart player. And maybe I'm just giving him the award, because um, the nomination this week, because I'm realizing that we're probably not going to see him in Golden State next season because he's going to get a well-deserved payday. Um, and, you know, for someone who's spent a lot of time battling in the G League, um, it's really fantastic that he's he's going to find a home, uh, hopefully long-term in the league. Yeah, you're right. And he's could still have a role to play. I mean, if they get if they get Memphis, I'd love to see him get some minutes on Ja Morant. Oh, yeah. Um, he is someone that, you know, if he does evolve into a, a larger role next year, it wouldn't shock me if people start talking about him as an all all defensive team kind of guy. Um, you know, there would need to be the right roster and fit because obviously he's not a big self-creator. So you need to kind of pair him in a roster that's got a lot of self-creation or, or people that can create for him. But he's been amazing. When you consider the fact that he was considering, you know, a different career path, not yeah. a long time ago. The video uh, coordinator, yeah. This is the... Uh, this is a definition of an unsung hero. So shout out to you, the glove. What do you call him? The, the junior glove? Young glove. Young glove. Shout out to the young glove. Um, hopefully we see him a little bit more throughout the playoffs as well. Don't bury him just yet, Steve. So, Luke, you've got uh, someone who no longer plays for the Warriors, um, but a fan, fra- fan favorite in the Bay. Uh, who have you got for the Zoobs Award this week? Yeah, so uh, my player... Um, leads all Phoenix Suns that have played in every game in PER in this series. Um, that is a, a man very close to your heart, Nick. That is JaVale McGee. Uh, Good who's obviously the, the Pelicans backup center situation isn't great. This has been kind of discussed at length. Um, but in, you know, only 12.6 minutes a game to be averaging just a shade under 10 points is pretty helpful. And average, he's almost averaging two offensive boards a game as well in such a short period of time. We know that he's going to deter people from going to the rim with that offensive presence. Um, and I just think that the playoffs are where centres that can't hack it, backup centres or starting centres kind of go to die. And the fact yeah. that JaVale's able to still provide uh, Phoenix with such positive minutes in that, in the, the when he, Monty Williams can roll him out is, a, again, a validation of how good that signing was last uh, at the, in last offseason, Nick. 
Yeah, and we you know spoke about at length last season about how much uh, an extra big in the playoffs would have been so handy for Phoenix that they, it was a crime that they didn't go out and get one. And that the fact that they got one in the offseason and someone who's really good at playing this role, um, I think has been great. And yeah, in the in the minutes that he has played, look really good. Um, it's a really important thing to be able to spell DeAndre Ayton, particularly in Booker's absence when Ayton is going to have more to do. You know, someone who's played 34 minutes a game which it, it, it is always a hard one for your big who's playing, you know, sort of 35 plus minutes um, a night. So um, any sort of respite that JaVale's able to provide and the fact that he's been able to, you know, give you that much scoring and I think shooting at about 80 odd percent from the field. Yep. 84% um, on five field goal attempts per game. It's just, he's just a really handy player. Um, and again, sort of, you know, you're talking about players who are perfect for this award. There's not too many more who's turned their career around from an, you know, someone who was a, you know, more, more known for sort of the things he was doing wrong on a basketball court rather than the things he was doing right. Um, seeing him, you know, sort of go from outcast um, to, you know, important um, spark plug in Golden State to now being a really handy veteran big um, for the Phoenix Suns. Um, no, it's really good to see how well he's playing. And he'll, regardless of what who Phoenix face uh, next, which will probably be Dallas, um, he's got a really important role to play. Yeah, and and don't don't be down on him, uh, listeners. If he doesn't play a ton when Luke is playing forty two minutes a game, if that's what happens, he'll be there'll be roles for Javale if the Phoenix Suns keep keep going through. You know, we 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 all, I think we both think that someone like Javale could have even been a, a big difference maker in last year's finals had he been on definitely. Yep. But, um, we'll uh, we'll leave it there, listeners. We'll be back next week with what should be you know second round content for hopefully both Pacific teams. Um, there's no secret behind the fact that me and, uh, me and Nick are biasly hoping for uh, two Pacific teams in the Western Conference Finals to keep this content nice and juicy. I might have to become a bandwagon Suns fan just to, just to stir Nick up for a little bit. <laughs> um, but it's been a pleasure as always, Nick. Glad to see you out of health and safety protocols, mate, and uh, look forward to speaking to you next week. Absolutely. Keep this postseason train rolling.